good day, good evening, good night, good afternoon, and welcome to The Black Cauldron, episode number nine. I am so excited. I am also hot. And the crazy thing is that we're in episode number nine, and we're technically not even halfway through the book as yet. So <laughs> <laughs> it shows how black people always got something to say, right? But we're extra. We're extra. We're extra. Our lives matter, and it's Juneteenth. Well, technically, it's the day after Juneteenth. So, how are you ladies doing? Before I go, let me introduce my co-hostesses with the mostesses. We have Professor Deb. She is from the wonderful house of Ravenclaw, my house of. How are you doing this week, Deb? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to continuing our discussion. And um, it's been pretty, pretty okay week. We're gradually getting back to some degree of normalcy. Um, so I'm doing good, but I'm still not going out because, uh, you know, <laughs> I do day. believe, I do believe in Rona. <laughs> good. Good. Um, and how is school going? Cause you know, Deb is a real life professor. She got classes still. I do. Um, school is going well. My students, uh, um, are really fully engaged. I love reading their comments and, uh, I have to, because it's an online course, you know, have to set up opportunities for them to interact with each other. So that's going um, very well. You know, it's a big challenge this year because many libraries are not open. open. So they're having to work with only uh, e-books, young adult e-books. So they're, but they're living up to the challenge, doing great. And for all of the class, all of the students, there's extra credit. Shout out to those who are paying attention, who are listening. You might get an extra credit, you know, just saying. I can't promise you anything, but you know, if you look at you adding points into her curriculum. I'm just saying, Gryffindor and Ravenclaw, there are some house points available to you. If you Absolutely. are listening to this podcast, I have had some student, I have had some student interest, and when I talked about doing that this this summer, and um, so I've provided them with the link, and so we'll see. Yeah, and maybe I have to before throw, go, maybe you could throw a question in there in the middle and see who's really listening. Exactly right. <laughs> And let me also say before, you know, before I introduce Janina from Farron, Ohio, let me just give a shout out to all our listeners. You know, I, I tend not to do it. You know, I, you know, I, you can see we are such nerds. We are much more interested in the content than actually getting the content out to the wider masses. You know, every YouTuber <laughs> I see, uh, every podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe and comment below. We never say that, even for the regularly scheduled tennis podcast. So let me just do that today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, tell your friends, and comment below because we, you know, we always have great and exciting content for you. So just putting that out there. And I know we have listeners all over the world. Janina has checked. We have them in Asia, Australia, Europe, America, and they're not just family because I don't think I know anyone in Australia. <laughs> no, actually I do, but I don't think they're listening. So thank you to all our listeners and hope you enjoy our content and we just love doing it anyway. This is a labor of love and not for actual cash, unfortunately. <laughs> so let me introduce Janina from Far in Ohio. How are you doing, Janina? I'm good. I'm good. I've been um enjoying the great outdoors. If you hear the birds chirping, so you know I just I just finished my second round of 
self-quarantine with this whole corona stuff because, you know, I work in healthcare. So anytime we get a little sniffle, um, shit hits the fan. So I was sent home from work on Tuesday. Um, I was tested on Tuesday. I'm happy to say that I'm negative again. Um, but I didn't want to clean my house. Like I didn't want to have to, no, I don't, I shouldn't say I didn't want to clean my house, but you know, if you think you might be positive, you have to be very careful about what you're sharing and stuff. So I came home, even though I wasn't feeling very well and I disinfected everything and I came outside and I pretty much didn't go back in until Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I legit didn't. I, I slept outside. I remembered that I had bought this fabulous air mattress slash couch thing to watch movies outside last summer. So I pulled that out and uh, me and the little man set up some social distancing in the backyard and we slept under the stars and it was great. And then we had a rainy night. Little so man is not a husband, people. It's not a husband. Uh, my son, my son. <laughs> and, um, and then it rained. So we had to go in the next night. But last night, we set everything up all again. It was a beautiful night, and I set up the movie projector, and we watched Prisoner of Azkaban Under the Stars. And then I awesome. slept outside, and they left me, and I woke up alone. But, you know, that's fine. That's fine. The kid and the dog took off. But, hey, I'm really liking this sleeping outside thing. <laughs> that's an adventure you should watch. Once, once everyone is gone, and then you're left all to your devices, just, like, wonderful that is heaven. That's how Deb and I feel in a regular day, Janina. So welcome to the Oh, show. is that what it is? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. We don't Absolutely. have any responsibility but to ourselves. So welcome to the club. I bet yeah. you want one of those. Um, You know, see, remember what I was talking about? That camping tent, right? Listen, like I you have want a one tent. of those tents. Well, I would love a glamping setup, but this is pretty nice. My setup is pretty nice. But um, we have a tent that I've never actually used that I also this is bought. It's the Harry Potter tent, though. Is it's, it a magical tent? It's not tent? the Harry Potter. Listen, when I finally get around to setting it up, I mean, I'm going to try some magic and see if I can do some things inside. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm going to definitely give it a try. I think it's the, what is it? Uh, what's it called? Is it the. Well, you need extendo magic. What you need the extendo magic? You're going to need that for us. The... I don't know. But, you know, I've loved this this non-tent camping so much. I don't, I don't know that I need to try it. So, and yes, so and there is reels out here. So, I... We are going to get into the task this week. And because there is so much going on in the graveyard, we decided we will leave the graveyard um, and the aftermath to its own podcast on its own but there are quite a few interesting tidbits that are happening in here around the task and in many in many instances the tasks almost seem almost incidental even though they're somewhat exciting particularly the first two so i think where we left off last time ron and harry were having a, a, a tiff you know they were having some beef and it wasn't on their plate you know, there was issues of class and money and, you know, lies and, you know, friendship and all those things came into being, which we should have um, almost, which was almost hinted at in the beginning in book one with the Mirror of Erised, where Harry was seeing his family and Ron was seeing himself being triumphant and, you know, getting fame with the Quidditch Cup. And, you know, he was finally getting recognized for being Ronald Weasley 
and that Ronald Weasley, the brother of Charlie, George and Fred are Harry's best friend. He was an individual famous all on his own. But we also saw the, the I think we saw the inkling of other, you know, as always, the politics surrounding the magical world. And because in the past three books, we were somewhat dealing with personal issues, issues within the school and nothing, nothing never necessarily hinted at being really like what? Other than the defense against the dark arts, you know, like no one seemed to be having a firm handle about that situation. But as we would learn in this book, it's hinted at, you know, the magical world somehow has gotten into a, a sort of a complacency where they don't necessarily think there needs to be any real sense of defense against the dark arts because the dark arts have been, you know, I don't know, it's gone away. It's like, you know, when you have like a roach problem, you got rid of it. You don't think about, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, you don't think about the extenuating circumstances that's causing the roach problem. That are what an analogy! But, you know, you're just like, out of sight, out of mind, as they would say. You know, the roaches are gone, so you're happy and you're on here. And Janina pointed out a very interesting point about the whole, why we are here, the Goblet of Fire and this alleged magical contract. And what was interesting when I was thinking about, as you were talking about that, Janina, when you said, you know, like, this magical contract issue, right? Like, what is a magical contract? What does it mean if you don't, quote-unquote, break the contract, if you break the contract, etc.? What was interesting is that for this all greatness and bindingness of the magical contract is that people cheat all the time. That cheating is has been known, historically, it's been part of this Quidditch, uh, this Triwizarding Tournament, yet well, it, even... you can get past the magical contract, right? But cheating is allowed within a magical binding contract, but we can't see... To a 14-year-old, nope, you can't participate. There has been some mistake. You need to sit your ass down. We should only have three champions um, fighting it out for this thousand galleon. But you were saying sorry. Well, you know, even even beyond the whole cheating thing, because, yes, that's a whole other aspect to it. Um, you know, we, we will find out later. And I just... What bothers me is that we don't know the consequences of breaking the contract, right? Because we do find out later that, what is it? It's in book seven, I think, the very beginning of the final book when Snape and Narcissa book do... Book six. Is that six? Yeah. When they, when they do One of the, my all-time favorite un- scenes. But yeah, we'll get to the, that. The un- <laughs> yeah. The, what yeah, is the it? The Unbreakable? The Unbreakable Cabal. Yeah, but we know we know that if you break this, this what this is what happens. So that's what makes it so significant. And it just I think it was a huge oversight to not say what happens if you know you just don't participate. But but you see that um but but there are um But maybe this is foreshadowing for something but like there that. Are I don't know. Um but there are um other aspect we have see, actually we actually saw a magical bond contract sort of before this in book three. Dumbledore says this to Harry. He says, "You let Wormtail go. You saved Wormtail's life. You right. had it in your power to save it." And he said, "Look what you've done. You have sent a servant to Lord Voldemort who owes you something." Yeah. And we would then also know, um, and we saw something similar to this. With uh, mentioning even 
in book one, or uh, maybe book one, I think it was, where Snape, where Dumbledore speaks of Snape, where Harry's father supposedly saves Snape's life. And Snape owes that. There is that bond. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, whether, now, how these bonds are working, whether this is like some uncontrollable urge or like you know, a reminder in your head, like you have to pay this back. <laughs> you know what I mean? How I feel like what you're work? talking about is different. I feel like those are unintentional as opposed to something that you go into knowingly. No, no, no. I, I mean, Although the I, consequence I, might be similar, but it's something out of your... Like, Harry has no idea, you know, until later about the bond that's created between him and Voldemort because of that course curse. No, he didn't know by letting Pettigrew go that there was going to be something there that's going to keep well, them connected. Well, that's what I mean. Well, what I'm talking about, it, it seems to be, though she doesn't always explicitly state this, there seems to be a realm of magic, uh, a, a category of magic that she talks about, which is almost the, the inca- incalculable, the uncontrollable, these binding, um, these binding, um, not necessarily like a contract, well, but because this is the, the Goblet of Fire, it's not a visible physical contract, right? Mm-hmm. There seems to be like something bound up within the magical world where once a wizard agrees to something, it, it, it cannot be taken back. I think right. the, the do, sorry, do you think it could be? You think there could be different cat levels? Right, of, there seems to be different of, levels of this. The different levels of kind of binding in terms of some things are it's almost like unforgivable curses versus a regular curse. Um, right, but I, there I are certain the, levels of 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 different things where. Um, how much you are bound or what you're required to do if you break it might vary depending on the level um, of the of the particular activity that you were engaged in. Well, I, I think we would see this, you know, not to spoil alert, but, you know, we would see certain aspect of this when it comes to Snape and Dumbledore. Right. There is right, this sort right. of like a bond that is created. No, I think what is different, I think, here, it's perhaps how they're describing the situation. You, you know how I feel about J.K. Rowling and her magical world building, that, that the sometimes she's stumbling upon things accidentally, and there are things yeah. that she's sort of repeating itself and not realizing that she's talking about the same thing and then showing it in different aspects. One of the biggest things I would point to is Protego Curse, that when Protego Curse is first um, shield charm, when it's first introduced, it is seen as just a minor deflection. However, we would see that later on it becomes that it can try to defect major curses. Like, you can't partake away from Avada Kedavra. Like, it's just, <clears throat> it's, it's pointless. But we would see that it's being thrown up and thrown into the situation for things like that. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think here, you might be hitting on more so the kind of thing which I think might be more accidental and more so what we are reading into the situation that there seem to be different levels of this magical bond between wizard because this again something she doesn't necessarily explore fully right that how our wizarding relationship maintain we, we just see it minorly in terms of like we see basic friendship we see uh family familial situation and we, we talk about lily's sacrifice in creating this magical shield by a mother's love right that she can shield a deadly curse which is quote unquote old magic right 
that right. thing that Voldemort right. doesn't see, doesn't think about, doesn't consider. He would later say this here. And I think in one of the fifth book, Dumbledore speaks of this. There is a department in the Ministry of Magic, Love, which is studied. And it is, he says, an incredible force and whatever. But that, again, is something that is mentioned then and forgotten. Never really revisited in, in any sort of real capacity to describe what's happening here. And I think, you know, she's hinting at though these people are human and they're human-like behavior, right? Um, right. Their reactions right. are also human. That because they are magical and because there are some things that are just uh, binding them that are that are at play here, which is beyond what we would say than regular <clears throat> people. Because we can we can say we can we make vows all the time that do us part and all this shit, but we know that those things got broken. You know, like they don't even last long. That there's nothing, there is no real vow or bond that you can force on to someone and in fact the only thing we have liken is to court and you have an injunction and whatever and we know with this current administration none of those things mean anything uh, right i was thinking more right. along the lines of a pinky swear right that sometimes <laughs> right. like exactly that sometimes there's a pinky swear situation and it's funny that um like this takes me back to childhood that when we were young i don't know if you noticed how the game where you would have this you would cross your fingers and you would see this person you would say freeze and then the person can't move they have different uh-huh. names and whatever and it will be like if you if if you see the person their fingers are not crossed, you can pinch the person, all manner of things. There is this my siblings and I and this girl that lives over it. We play this game to this day. <laughs> like if we see each other, if if mm-hmm. we see this girl in the street, we would uh make sure our fingers are crossed because she could either make us freeze or pinch her. <laughs> like and there is no reason for this to continue, but I don't know if it's nostalgia, but it's just in a child like mine, you know, that this has been almost ingrained in the DNA. So maybe it is something like this. There are forces at play here that you cannot, that it might make your magic wonky. It might do. But again, she doesn't give any clear um, advice or any clear information, but it seems to be there are certain things at play here because you would notice that um, not necessarily if we look at the case where not to go too hard, but I think with the case with the unbreakable vow, you are these people are consciously making a bond about a specific thing, right? Right. It's not like right. you know, like right. anything you promise, whatever. So I think that might be a little <clears throat> bit different here. And mm-hmm. if you notice the case with um Peter Pettigrew, what actually gets an it's a slight hesitation. In the moment he stops to think about, oh, I do owe this kid. He the hand doesn't allow him to think again, and right, that is the right. problem because we we know Peter. Peter would be killing Harry. We don't give a shit. Like Peter's trying to save his skin, right? That is always right. going to be Peter's objective. But is that because that was the because I think Harry was throwing out the hail mary pass, right? He was just like because Peter was going after them, right? And, and Harry was just like, "You little bitch!" Like after all that we did for you, that I did for you. And Peter was like, huh? And then that was it. So I think it's one of the hand was like, because there is something, to go back, there's something insidious about, Voldemort said something to Peter in the beginning of the book. We kind of missed it. That was what I forgot last week. He says, you are about to perform a service that so many of my followers will give their right hand for. And I was just like, you little 
nasty man. Like you are just <laughs> you are you are sadistic. You are well, we really sadistic. Like I mean, it's well like, we know, yeah, he is the exactly. ultimate sadist. But he says it right there, and Paul Peter is like, huh? But how we knew that you know Voldemort could be quite in most cases he's very literal in what very he's saying. Very much. Yeah. And you know, and this happens, and this hand, and he when he gives the hand to him, he would see later on that too. You know, he says. May you never waver in my service again. And something along those lines, he says to him. And that is where the, you know, that situation, that paradigm is set up, right? Where he owes someone something in saving his life. And he is bounded to someone else. And it is but that. But how, how much of the magic around the, the goblet has been interfered with because of what, you know, what the, obviously, the magic has been of the of the goblet has been interfered with. I mean, all of the things that the goblet was supposed to do, send out three champions, right? You know, connected to the three houses. It's obviously been tampered with. So well, we, that that magic has been tampered with. So you know, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. At some point, you know, what what would happen if we just say no? We're not letting this little kid participate. And we just not we're gonna go almost like we're gonna go into a manual thing, so to speak, you know. Yeah. But but um they they chose not to, but I think that the magic was obviously tampered with in such a way that it was outside of their control. And when we find out later who did it, you know, we we're talking about somebody who you know knows what they're doing in terms of dark arts. That is the explanation we're supposed to be taken. That is the, the answer we're supposed to get and say, okay, all right, fine. But I think what we're pointing out to is that you had set, you had basically painted yourself in a situation about this binding magic, magical contract. You didn't explain this. And this is a tournament that hadn't gone on for like over a century. Like how, right, do, right. Like how does this work? You know what I mean? You said the flame went out and that won't be come back again. So for a hundred years, like how did you tell the cop? Like, well, there won't be any tournament next year and the year after that because we never <laughs> see this tournament. So, you know, does the flame just start burning? You, you know what I mean? There's a lot of things, right. you know, that she sets up a thing on the surface that seems very cool and like, oh, wow. There is the theatrical of it, I think, is the word I think we came up with at the beginning of right. this book. It's just like, there's a whole bunch of theatrical things that are happening. The Goblet of Fire was, like, you know, like Janina put it, it's kind of dodgy. Yeah, I don't know how. And even if and I am agreeing with you that, you know, the the hoodwinker is supposedly very skilled. But again, magical objects are very, we have seen magical objects have very binding, they have very precise magic in whatever the case may be. There's certain rules and regulation that you cannot tamper with. But yet, somehow... I guess it just is weird because we haven't learned about those things just yet, right? So this seems kind of out of place. But like um, like so many other things from the very beginning, you learn more about it later. Even though we don't truly ever learn about the magic of the Goblet of Fire. But I think as you move through the series and you learn about the Horcruxes and things of that nature you just kind of take this as one of those truly special things, right? So, I don't know. I mean, it's okay, but it's, you know, you mentioned that Voldemort is always very deliberate 
with what he says. He says what he means and he does what he says he's going to do, or at least he attempts to always do what he says he's going to do. And just because I don't know how to say this differently, <laughs> because I don't like Voldemort, but maybe that's why I like him, because you know that he's not talking in circles. You know that when he speaks, this is what's this is what's coming. And he may not be successful, but he's damn sure going to try. And he's going to be really good at trying it because we know how powerful he is. So when you have when you when you embrace immorality as your um, as your own particular personal philosophy, like I, nothing gets in the way of what I am setting out to do then it's easy to see how straightforward Voldemort is. He doesn't have to play nice. He can, you know, as long as he has the strength to pull off what he wants to pull off, he can say and do what he damn well pleases. Right. And I think that's what, the un, there's no ambiguity about his character unless he is in a position where he is not in a position of, of ultimate strength, such as, you know, before he was reconstituted, um, before he fully has all of his followers in check, all of those kinds of things. But once all of the conditions are right for what he wants to do, there is never any ambiguity about how he's going to act. Okay, two things to what you just said. First of all, I love that you said reconstituted as though he was like powder and added juice. liquid. And we have, frozen we have returned him. I love that. I just, I love that. As soon as you said it, I'm like, oh my God, that's perfect. Second thing, so I'm not evil like Voldemort, but I am a very black and white person. I want straight up yes or no if the if the question that i ask can be answered in yes or no that's always what i want if you want to give me an explanation afterwards i'm happy to listen but i get legit pissed off if the explanation becomes comes before the answer it genuinely bothers me i can't stand it so i think that's why i'm like yes voldemort said this and that, that's it we're going for it you know this is what it is whereas I like Dumbledore and I appreciate his character, but he often speaks in code. Yeah. That's not what I appreciate as a person in my everyday life. So I guess that's where I'm coming from when I say, you know, I like him in that sense. This is one of the strengths, I think, um, you know, and, and we're, we're good that we point out a lot of holes in what's going on in this whole series. But one of the strengths is you do get to see those two diametrically op opposite types of personalities mm -hmm. going against each other. It's interesting that the that you know we see that, and very often now, you know, I think people have taken a step back, and they also see the flaws in Dumbledore. They right. see how that nuance, that um, all those shades of gray, all of those things that we can we associate with his personality have not always worked to the advantage of the people around him. Um, you know, nobody's saying, OK, well, Dumbledore is not perfect, so we're going with Voldemort. No, no, but we're seeing we're seeing those two sides um, in stark relief when we when we look at their characters. For now, I'm just going to say, you know, Dumbledore is about the work. OK, mm -hmm. it's about the work. The work got to be done. Right. And we, we can see that 
No, not everyone is for Dope Voldemort. Not everyone is against him either. You know, people right. just trying to. Yeah, trying you're to right. Going. And, right. And I think that is right. the problem. That is, it, it is part of the. It is this. It is, it is the strength of this this book series and also the weakness. Because for me, and I'm and and I have to keep in mind that Deb always say, it's a children's book, right? It's a children's <laughs> book. You know, don't forget that. Really, it's a children's book. <laughs> Right. But it, but it, but it is these issues that she's presenting here. These are adult issues. Slide away, just slide away from it, right? She's like, here you have a situation where this is the problem. This is the problem with the magical world, right? Right. And when we talk about the whole, when people talk about Harry Potter, they talking about, oh my God, Harry is a girl and Hermione. I'm just like, put these because this is a burden children shouldn't have to deal with at all. This. Because this is beef that exists before these children even came into being. Mm-hmm. That's that's this, my this are, that's my number one thing is that if these adults had their stuff together, these children would not have had to save the world. Exactly. Altered line. This is all about old stuff that adults <laughs> never found a way to resolve, and they have left it on the children, which I think is a is a point of view about the way generations work that generations mess stuff up and then, you know, go off to the great beyond and uh, leave somebody behind to fix it, you know? Oh, this is something we can dive deep into in the end of the series recap because yes. God knows but, we're living it now. Right. Exactly. exactly. And this is the thing that I find that, you know, like, it, it is the thing that she never, you know, but, but you know, I, I think, and... In many ways, I really do, though this woman is problematic, I see her trying. I see her trying to get to these issues. You know what I mean? In book five, in book six, in book seven. Right. She's trying to hint at these issues. But maybe because she's 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 bound by the, the children literature aspect of it, or maybe her original plan is to have the books develop and grow older and older and older. And the editor is like, no, girl, we, mm, we, we're not dealing with any of this. Because these are really, really, really big issues that she's dealing with here. Because in many ways, when it came to book seven, it had never been con- contemplated that Dumbledore could be problematic. That the old, right. b- because he was this stock figure, the Merlin character, you yeah. know, all of this fit. That we, we had seen the old wise person. And we've never questioned who or what he is. And this stroke of like delving into his personal life, I was just like, what? It was interesting. But let us not get too bogged down in weeds and, and over here. But yeah, let's talk about the tasks. Let's task, get there. Let's talk about the tasks. The task. So we have the three tasks, and we're going to get into the issues of the three tasks. But one thing I think I, I, I meant to say, I, I think when I, was, I put up the um, notes to you, I, I put up this thing. The first task, Harry is facing dragons. And also, what is with this competition? How often are these real-life tasks, right? This is basically battle magic akin more to military training. And why is this a thing that is only accessible to only three to four students? Now, what do you mean? Wait, because, what do you mean? Elaborate on that. Okay, one. We do know from Charlie's, that, that from Charlie's, from, you know, mentioning along with Charlie, that dragons are not commonplace. We saw the whole fracas that happened in London. When the dragon escaped, right? In book seven, it was just like, fuck. Mm-hmm. But they're commonplace <laughs> enough that he has a whole career. 
Right, but they're in the mountains and whatever the case may be, right? And we have a task. We, we, we don't know what this tri-wizarding competition is about, yada, yada, yada. It's testing the dare and still this nerve and skills of the student. We know that none of this shit is being taught in school, right? Care of magical creatures, the, a dragon is not showing up in class, right? Despite um, Hagrid's we, best effort. Exactly. I mean, like, if one could have been in class, Hagrid would have had a whole... <laughs> A pack of dragons running around, you know. What I mean? <laughs> the, the forest holds many dangerous beings and beasts. But what I thought was interesting about these tasks, it, it's it's the level of like this is almost like special ops training, right? You have to face a barrage of fire. You right. have to go on the water rescue mission, and then you eventually have a quote unquote an obstacle course, right? In trying to get to something, a mission, capture the flag. This is all military style thing. And this is something which apparently to them is seen as something that you're going to give to three students, four students in this case. And this was something that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago. We, we have no real idea of how um, century old wizarding world looks like. Because what we see of this current wizarding world is what we imagine 17, 1400 looks like, right? Like, it's right. all, like, candles, you know what I mean? Like, talking tapestry, you know, that's how that thing. It's just like, oh, in our mind, if we were only in the magical world, we couldn't tell. They don't even talk about time. They don't talk about years, per se. They were like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, they never mention what current year they're in. And it means right. nothing in terms of only from a perspective a potential historical perspective in terms of goblin wars, et cetera, et cetera. But there seemed to be, you no know, like, 50 years ago, that's how we used to do something. We don't do that anymore. There isn't that much reference in time here. But these tasks seem to be very military-style training, and we know that they have none of this training within school itself. Right, right. And this is something that they think is is something that is so important to show that you know it's gonna test the daring nerve of young wizards and witches, and yet it's only they only they stop having the competition because people keep dying. Their solution to this problem isn't like let's you know equip them better with this situation. No, they equip their put their situation is to stop having the competition, bring it back. And the thing that bothered me most about the dragon is that like oh the dragon is theatrical, it's spectacular. It takes six fully qualified wizard to bring down a dragon but we're gonna have a little puny 14 year old and some 16 and se- some 17 year old attempt the task to go get one dragon knock one dragon down to steal the dragon's nesting egg ain't that some crazy shit i mean but you know but the thing that i, I now of course you know that that's my favorite task i love this task too and that I love this task because in a lot of ways, this task and to a lesser degree, the second task really plays to Harry's strength, even before um, whatever Moody this is says to him, you know, play into your strength. But, you know, Harry is, is and, and what Harry only cares about and Reels, you've talked about this, too, is he doesn't care so much about the book learning. He really cares about the athleticism that he seems to have inherited from his father. And this particular task really does put that on full display, even though it is totally inappropriate for his age. 
Um, you could say it's totally inappropriate for anybody's age, but there is some, there, all of the aspects of this task are really the things that Harry has already demonstrated some ability at. Now, you know, dodging dragons, he hasn't had to do that, but I think in t especially in terms of the flying, the, um, to be able to sustain yourself in a highly physical environment, I think that is what he's shown he's very good at. I mean, you're right about that. That is that is true. That this was, if there were ever task, that you know what I mean. This is the the, the gusto to go down to the lake and whatever the case may be, is wonderful. And how crazy it is that they've been at this school for like four years and they know nothing of what's happening in this what's lake. What's out in there underground? And, yeah, under lake, <laughs> underwater. And, and, goes in there. Stop it. And here's the thing: the lake is like it's an ocean. This isn't a lake. This is an ocean. This is literally an ocean underneath it. Like I was picturing this no different that? than if I was in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. So, Janina can tell us about oceans. She lives in the land of the of the of the Great Lakes, Lake. which are really <laughs> huge. Well, well, actually, I I I I come from an island, okay, and I'm telling you, like the depths of when you're when you see the water and you can't see it, it literally looks like that black pitch underneath there it's it's deep okay there's a reason why you can't see the bottom it's because it is so far down but i mean for me it's like i i hear what you're saying deb in terms of the dragons and all of that that this is suited for harry and it was so exhilarating because you know i think you mentioned it all the time that flying is the thing that harry is good at it's a mm -hmm. one thing he knows he doesn't question about what's happening here etc and He's on this broomstick and he's finally free. And but but you see, for me, I, there's another issue here. But this is just like, oh good Jesus! It took you know, several books and a whole week upon week to practice one spell. Like, how is magic working in this world? <laughs> like, what is this? There are several books mm -hmm. just to teach you to say, at Akio. It's like right. really, like like this the magical again. I, I get the theatrics of this. But this is insane because to bring something to you is a basic summoning charm. It's basic. It is literally the basic. But, you know, for me, the task is, you know, it's funny how she didn't she doesn't take you outside. Right. She keeps you in the tent with Harry that you don't. Harry is last for this theatrical mm -hmm. part of it. Right. You know, you don't see the other thing. He gets the worst one. And, right. you know, speaking about connections, this is the same Hungarian haunt hill that he helped save and rescue. Right. He literally knew this thing as an egg. Right. And, you know, right. how he got it out of the school. And he's the only one who thinks that the, it's a dragon. You can't fight it underground. You have to fight it in the air. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. he's the only one. I think when the movie does it, the movie did a really sort of like, oh, even more theatrical part of it, which I thought was even more. In my mind, just like, oh, this makes sense. I almost, isn't that how the book had it? But in the book, um, the dragon never breaks the chain. But, no. uh, but I mean, even that was sort of like spectacular about just how that was, I thought, was sort of interesting for them. That this was such a really cool first task, right? That, you know, go for the eggs and, you know, like, but I just thought, you know, that just the 
how some of the magic that they were doing transfigure a dog and let the yeah like you turn a rock into a dog and let the dragon go for the dog while i sneak up and steal the egg it's a dragon boo it isn't a knight <laughs> in shining armor you know what i mean right, that I, think right. that, I think the whole point of that was to show that the older students had more options yeah. and that harry couldn't do that so he had he had you know like like moody said you got to play to your strength this mm-hmm. was never even an option for him harry's not transfiguring anything nothing mm-hmm. not that can, well he can barely right. make the teapot happen but you know so right. exactly so whereas they were able to do that and make it work um you know he got to do something that he's stellar at flying and you know of course it was the best but and that makes sense to me. I was fine with that. You well, know, what I was interested in is just like they're like so that four dragons around this place. We don't know how the dragons are pairing because that's what I was interested. Like I'm like so Floor tried to stun it in its eye. Like how? How did she get to be face to face with a dragon? <laughs> to be like, dragon, you come down here. Let me tell you a little something. Well, Let clearly me just... it was laying down and it was nestling its eggs. Silly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I'm just like, look, y'all are just... I, and meanwhile, Harry kind of the thing was just like, hmm, let me go try it. And I'm just like... And again, no one has a fire protection spell. Just no one. No one decides. No. It's like, what is this magical world? This is just insane. But you know, for this, for this, for this, for this theater of it, this was the, I think, one of the purest tasks the most enjoyable task I found, you know, it was like very exciting. But I guess she kept us in the background so that we can get the we to build up the anxiety with Harry, right? And mm-hmm. I think, you know, we felt, you know, it's like, oh, so he gone summon a brew, but look really stupid. This kid is just standing there. <laughs> like <I'm> just... <laughs> kid, like, how fast can you run, Harry? There is a dragon. A fire but you know what? That kind of you. we see that twice actually so we you see it in the first task can't harry's just kind of like hanging out like oh crap what am i supposed to do Uh, that's what it looks like to the spectators and then you see it again in the second task where he's just standing there you don't know what he's gonna do he shows up late he doesn't seem to have a plan you know so it's kind of like a yeah, Harry, Harry being what, a reactor, right? This is what drives me insane. But it's that just, was but the second test, that's a really good point about Harry being a reactor. Remember, he just kind of was like waiting for something to happen for that sec for that second task until um um Cedric kind of gives him a hint. So he really doesn't <laughs> He doesn't have like, an intellectual just, pursuit at all. Like, just nothing. Like, you he know, doesn't... Just, you can say it there, but I know he's no, your friend. Gonna, right. <laughs> he's just, he's, he, if he's trying to figure out, because right up until now, and, and it really does continue until towards the, the end of the series, it's like, I've got... If I can't physically get myself out of something... I throw up my hands because I don't exactly. I'm like, gonna have to show up. Right, I'm gonna have to show up and but, just tell them I can't do it. But right? you know what? He turns around and looks to Hermione, right? Mm-hmm. Girl, what you got? Like, help me here. And this is the thing that the time and time again that, that I feel that it's so weird that Harry sees. When I say inadequacies, I mean I don't mean inadequacies in terms of um. um 
like he does not a whole human being and whatever. We know he's a traumatized, abused child. And in fact, he's much more. He's making it through far better than most people would expect. Uh, most people ever could. But it's just like in these moments when you see how inadequate your magic is, your magical knowledge is, Harry's response isn't to go seek more knowledge, but it's to just be more dumb and be like, woof, well, I got out of that. Lucky me. Let me keep going. <laughs> I'm going to react to something. It's, it's like, because, oh, I mean, once again, magic has saved the day, but it's not really the magic that you have totally um, thought through and conjured no, not up. not at all. Not at all. Exactly. And it's right. just like, because I'm just like, because, I mean, Flora, they really give Flora uh, the shit here, you know, because Flora is the one who does the worst in the end. And they're like, right. Flora is the one just like, what is this little boy going to do? And Flora is absolutely correct because <laughs> this little boy really doesn't know. I, I mean, and, and if we're being 100% honest, he's basically unable, unable to, to, to handle much of this task, right? He got help. Right. But, I mean, it, it's just that it's Hermione who, and I'm just like, Harry. Hermione doesn't have access to something that you don't have access to, okay? Like, in order to... It is where, you know, uh, I guess Voldemort and he, if we're setting up... I guess typically we set up the, the paradigm between Voldemort and Dumbledore. But it is the thing that Voldemort did does while he's in the magical world. Oh, so this is why I'm special. This mm-hmm. is what it is. I, therefore, need to learn how this all works. Yeah, he definitely goes and seeks out the knowledge. He uses the people around him to learn instead of waiting for somebody to just and hand it way, to him. And this is why he is who he is, because he is seeking to go beyond magic that we know, beyond right. the usual realm of magic. I think um, Dumbledore tells um, one of two of them, Kingsley and Lupin, this. And this is the thing that, I mean, I don't expect <clears throat> Harry to go delve into quote-unquote dark arts or whatever that is. But you see, they're calling it dark, dark arts. I think it's, it's unethical magic. That's what you should be calling it. Because mm-hmm. I don't know, you know what I mean? Because you kind of need, it, it is knowledge about something, you know what I mean? It is what it is, but it is unethical magic to perform and do these magic. But this is the thing I just like, Harry, like, Jesus Christ, kid, pick up a book. Read a mm-hmm. book practice because because here the thing you are in situations that you have no business being in and for some you know what i mean for someone who keeps getting themselves into like trouble it's like almost like you keep ending up with a car with a whole bunch of drunk people maybe you should kind of learn how to drive out maybe not be in a car with drunk people ever again you understand what i'm saying (laughs) it's just like avoid this whole thing but harry is choosing not to learn how to drive you know and he's just doing the things that he is instinctually at doing right that yes. she she allows him to constantly get away with being the reactor and the instinctive, right? Instinctively, right. he can ride a broom. Instinctively, he would go to... Cause he, he knew he had to go into the lake, but he's just like, whatever. It's only when Darby runs around be like, you gotta go get your Weasley. And funny how Ron is the thing that he will miss most. I was just like, oh, Harry, you have a little, a little ship going on here, Harry. Interesting. We ain't trying to deal with that story. But it's when he feels the thing, oh my God, I really have to go into the lake now. Boo, you knew you had to go into the lake weeks ago. <laughs> like, it didn't matter whether you had to go rescue. If it wasn't you going to rescue Ron, we're going to be like, well, I'm not going in there. Is that what you were going to, you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, whatever the task was, right? 
what were you, what was going to be your response? It's, it's just the way in which he operates in when he's not in the problematic situation because he's brilliant in the problematic situations as we would see in book seven, you know. But, you know, when they're in so many titles, well, Hermione is brilliant. But it's like, I'm just like, gosh, dude, like, really? Like, mm-hmm. you, like, come on now. Do some kind of extra studying. And the, the crazy part is that he's smarter <clears throat> than Ron. And that's even more But messy. he studied. He just didn't find what he was looking for. For the second task, he did. He, he waited too long to start. Right. But he did try. He did spend all that time in the library reading all of these books and asking for permission to get into the restricted section. He did put forth some effort. He just procrastinated. So he didn't have the time to find what he needed. I, Not to mention the fact that it was right under his nose the whole time and he didn't even look. Well, that's just it, right? It's the thing that, you know, like you didn't even think about while we were in the mat because he approached this problem like a human. We need mm-hmm. a, an equipment to do this, right? Like, if But that is equipment. the world that he's grown up in. That's right. That's right. So but what else did you no, want him I, I to do? None of them could really, you know, because I, her mind is incapable of this. And just like, I'm just like, think about a plan. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that would have been too far-fetched to think about. But, you know, it, it's the it, it plant that I thought was, you know, just like, oh, a plant seemed, you know, because we, we've seen plants do um, plants bring people out of a coma and all this other mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. But... Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to uh, get to is um, with the second task, because I think the third task is somewhat kind of like wah, wah, wah. There are a couple of issues that happen within the between the second and the third task that we sort of have to deal with before we even get to the graveyard scene. It is one, it, it is again with the magic, is that there there is transfiguration happening. Not transferring, like the, the, what's his name? Victor Crumb. Mm-hmm. Attempts to do become an animagus. Yeah, the shark head. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, um, what is this happening here? Like a badly performed anima. Like this is the thing I understand. It's either you're animagus or you're not an animagus. Okay, it trans- there isn't a badly performed. Like you know what I mean? Because it, for example, Hermione tried the whole cat potion. <laughs> the the What's that thing called? Oh, the, polyg- oh with the polyjuice polyg- polyg- potion. Oh, yeah. Thank <laughs> God. But she didn't try know. that. It was because it was that was an accident. By accident. accident. That That's what accident. I'm saying. I'm just like you know the, because they talk about the animal impersonation thing. That's what happened. And I'm just like, how those children did not go to jail then? That no one asked <laughs> questions. That this girl showed up in the hospital while as a as literally cat woman. <laughs> like. <laughs> Well, we know that Mon- Madame Pomfrey doesn't ask a lot of questions. Uh, no, we hear that repetitely. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Yeah. She's probably seen right? so much that she's just like, I don't even want to know. Just come here and let me fix it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that magical farm hippo, right? That is his thing. That's right. She doesn't right. say a word. I'm not, I definitely zip it. So I was intrigued think- about that bit. That was but, you know, we, we also need to, to talk about, because it does come up, and like you said, in the midst of these, between these two tasks, or during the time of that, is is the whole idea of the different ways that um, very the various magical creatures are dealt with in the books. Mm. And, um, you know, 
because because uh, uh, Dobby is able to give Harry some necessary information, it leads us to think about just who are these characters, and um, you know how does they how are they treated in the magical world? Well, you know how I feel about the house elves. Um, they being <laughs> straight up being like she is she's definitely drawing on the transatlantic slave experience to right. draw upon these characters in their speech pattern, in their full sense of loyalty, which is it somewhat seems like those comic book um speech patterns, comic book caricatures that came out after the Civil War about how whites drew black people of being these obsequious or even true true slave pamphlets, right? Let you know that um the white the Caribbean plantocracy and here the white um, f- um, plantation owners were like circulating ideas. You know, no, no, slaves don't want freedom. They enjoy being slaves. You know, mm-hmm. like, no, they, they, mm-hmm. they, they're loyal to their masters and they're forever wanting to do this. And no one would. And what happens here is that because whole cells would pop up again and again and again and again that yes, our do. introduction to these house cells they make so many integral in major plot points and in minor plot points again, and that none of them has ever rebelled against their masters. Just none. Just mm-hmm. none decide to take ownership of their freedom and whatever the case may be. And this is this thing that I, I mean, you know, I, I'm not taking this up because I want to speak about um, black issues and whatever the case may be. Um, but it is what happens because what is interesting to me is not so much so it's the politics behind of it because Hermione draws light to this situation of how problematic this is in her house um, liberation. Um, what do they call it again? Society. Um, you. <laughs> Society for the protection of elves welfare. And it's how everyone is just casually like whatever. It's, mm-hmm. And, and it's, this is what I do not understand. That is the part that drives me insane. It's just, she's here talking about a really pertinent issue. Like, you have these these ascension beings. Dobby has shown himself capable of understanding big things, little things. He can, they're clearly capable, cognizant enough to go do complex tasks, right? Clean houses, you know, go about, you know, living daily lives. They have magic themselves. They have right. and powerful magic, we would learn, that not even wizards don't even have access to some of this magic, you know, and just how they're reduced to this sort of a, a you know, like like mindless dweebs that even in no time that they can, none of these people have ever at any point paid conscious mind to how they themselves have been treated. They're in these abuse abusive relationship at no point and right. they're always sacrificed that J.K. Rowling has no problem sacrificing these characters to push the plot forward that you know none of them you know that in, in the end we would see um, what's the other one's name? Creature what a mm-hmm. wonderful mm-hmm. name you know Creature shows up and it's almost like a throwaway line right? right. That creature who has done so much and Dobby Dobby has literally saved Harry's skin so many times. Right. In, in, even as he wasn't trying, as you know, in book two, he says, when he tells Dobby, don't try to save my life again, 
But Darby actually opened your eyes to pay attention to something was happening at Hall because we know how uh, the obvious always miss Harry, right? Right, so, right, right. <laughs> You know, be grateful for for her Dobby. For Dobby, Dobby points out something to that's happening to you here, and I think it underscores something. I think with Dumbledore to that, Dumbledore's powerful as a being. Dumbledore is Dumbledore chooses not to get into politics, as we, we would tell us, and that limits his power, right? And he is trying as best as he can, I guess, to a certain extent, but he's only one man. You know what I mean? But yet we see this situation that's happening in the school that no one ever asked about. Even the poor children, the Weasleys, who are the poorest of the poor we've seen, they're all excited about the house elf ever. Like, oh, Hermione, how dare you talk about it? You're going to mess up the food. It's just like, <laughs> it's just like, what? There are a hundred little people in this school cleaning and scrubbing. And I'm also not interested is that, what's that dude's name? Uh, Mr. Filch has no magic and you are expecting this non-magical being to clean up all this magical mess it's like this isn't a broom and the kind of thing y'all are playing with this isn't a broom and mop and lysol that's not gonna get any of that out because i don't know how you're gonna get a polyjuice potion with a broom like you just you know what i mean like whatever y'all are mixing you know like cauldron you know like shrinking potion and all this kind of mess that you literally need magic to fix this other thing. And it's just, it was just what I thought was highlighted in Hermione's particular plight in getting this. It's how we as a society generally turn our mind and eyes away from real injustices that are happening. Because yeah. we are getting along. We are good. Right. It's like, oh, I'm getting food out of this. Like, oh, don't mess with that. You know what I mean? But it's such systematic abuse that is happening. Winky's down there. Winky's drunk. Winky has turned into an alcoholic <laughs> off a of butter bed. Have you seen the mess? You know what I mean? I, you know, but Winky, you know, bless her heart. You know, she, you know, she really, uh, you know, Dobby was, you know, just like individual people. Dobby was much more. Um, it was well situated to accept his freedom. Even though he didn't do anything for, you know, he didn't really try to, he didn't have agency to try to gain his freedom. But once he got it, he knew what he had and he was happy to have it. Winky couldn't cope. So she, you know, she, so she turned to the, to drink, you know, and uh, she was quite pitiful because she just couldn't cope with the fact that she had, you know, been cut off from her family that she had served. She didn't know what else to do. There's a lot of drunkenness in this series. There really is. Yeah, because remember Hagrid, when Hagrid realizes how he almost got Harry killed, he goes off and drowns his sorrow in drink. Hermione has to take it away. Right. And remember, remember, if we want to go back a little bit, um, uh, Hagrid was drunk when... um, when he kind of told what was going on in the very first book. Yes. He told what yes. was going on in the bar in yeah. his very first book. So, <laughs> you know, poor Hagrid. We, we see him as a sympathetic character, but he can mess up sometimes. But notice who Hagrid is, though. Hagrid is not human. Hagrid right. is Hagrid half is giant, half human. Right. Half human. Yeah. You know, so there are these things that are at play here with these characters and who they are. Right. Who, are, who are displaying this kind of a more, and it's rather interesting 
that despite the fact that you have a world where people are literally attempting to attack a baby, right? There is a class and elegance that is extended to those people. But yet, for these these people who are suffering, who has been abused for years, notice how slavery is tied with the elves. It's tied through the mother's line. It is my mm-hmm. mother who has been here and my mother before her. That right. they are born into slavery, which was the thing that made the transatlantic slave trade so different that That's the world right. had ever known. That you know you couldn't, you people were born into slavery, which was something uncommon, right? You were sold into slavery. You know what I mean? Like you could be captured into slavery. That's not of a thing, but to be born into slavery was a whole that you have created a whole new underclass of people, and this sort of like prejudice and and um, problematic isn't just for elves. We see this with giants. The tale was uh, Madam Maxime doing a job, a teacher capable, oh, we oh, have oh, a good oh. job and all kind of thing. She literally came in a house, a huge house with children. And oh, what is she? Do you know right. who she is? And whatever the case may be. And I'm just, she's going to eat people. And I'm just like, well, she didn't eat anybody yet. Okay, well, anybody she, go miss remember, remember, she was not owning her identity. Right, you know, well, when, when remember when Hagrid immediately tried to strike up a friendship because he recognized that she had to be at least part giant. Right. She was like, "How dare you?" You know. So. But this um, is the thing. I'm, like, how could this not? This the funny thing about this whole situation was that we're constantly, whenever we see Hagrid, right, we're constantly talking about the size of Hagrid, right? Right. Like, there was just, and you know, Harry, I could forgive his ignorance, right? But Ron is just like. Oh my God! Like, you know what these seaplane things are, right? And I'm just right. Like, like, well, he's also got the prejudices, even though he has been, you know, uh, people have expressed prejudice against their family for being poor and for having more children than they can afford. He has his own set of prejudices. Just because you've been oppressed doesn't mean that you don't have some prejudices of your own. That somehow, sometimes, that's the way you cope with the prejudice with with being oppressed is to is to look down on someone else. Right. But but there are other people in the series in this particular book who are not coming off looking great. And they're regular wizards like Ludo Bagman, um, who is obviously a buffoon. So there are other folks that is not just the buffoonery and the 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 um, kind of uh, uh, denigrating of personalities is not just with. Uh, other magical creatures, it often happens to people who are full-grown, full-blown wizards. But th- but that is only extend to an individual, though. What is happening right. to Winky? Right, it's not to a class. It's right. happening to a it's whole class, to a of, class people. of people. And yeah, the goblins as well. And and notice because the in- because I mean whoever Hagrid's mother is, she clearly had a relationship with a man and had a baby, yeah. so she stuck around for nine months, so she was capable of being you know, like a sane and normal and all of the situation that, right. you know, that Harry, Hagrid said, you know, they're not the mothering type. But the issue is just like, can she stick around in a situation in a presumably a problematic relationship, you know, when in terms of like, a, you know, the kind of prejudices that are being extended to her? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I mean, we would find out that ooh, I don't even want to think about the logistics of this, but giants are like, <laughs> we're not going there. Giants are like, giants, you know what I mean? Why, 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 why? We're not going there. Brain bleach, brain bleach. But you know what I'm saying? In terms of like, so how does this all sort of like work out 
in 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 the situation you know what i mean like how that the magical wall again this small tight-knit unit that is that is already facing um prejudice from humans muggle people that they have kept themselves into isolation have further gone into where they're keeping magic fruit from certain creatures mm-hmm. apparently sentient ability is only extended to certain um beings like dragons are not seemingly to be um wise smart you know like how goblins because to me if you see a goblin like dragon no different right and the elf you know what i mean i'm just like so the goblins could talk why can't they why can't a dragon talk you know what i mean and mm-hmm. just like even even things that we would have naturally assumed that they would align with fairies because in our mind fairies and wizards and witches are the same thing right but for them they are different thing and you know centaurs even they are being treated like in magical creatures you know what i mean like they're mm-hmm. like domestic and we see this certain agency where i think um one of them said you know you have a child on your back like a common mule like right. how right. they they weren't they weren't liking that they weren't, they weren't liking that. that at all and we know no. that there will be subsequent issues that are, would result from those issues from that those exchanges would have even even more deeper significance later on. So I, I just find it really interesting that, and, and these issues never get resolved. Never. That, no. that despite the efforts that these people would put together to somewhat save or are integral to the plot, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They do not get that we never see the magical world dealing with any of these issues. And we could see this even with um, how. What's his name? Um, Amos Diggory. How he was so excited to get Winky in trouble. Like, oh, Winky, you mm-hmm. have a wand, girl. You are going what down. You <laughs> right. What you doing with right. this? You going down, girl? We going. We can't. I can't wait to pull you up in front of. You know what I mean? It, right. it could be something right. to do with you know because it was who was ever wizard. It, um, it was, you know, to see. Um, it was Mister Crouch's wizard. Mister Crouch's elf. Mr. Mm-hmm. Crouch owned this thing. You know, this kind of like, you know, this whole easily this language of how we, we, we people talking about it. It's Master Buckra's slave. Okay. That's his gym. You know, you know, look easy how this language is going through. It's being mentioned within these children's book and they're never being dealt with. And Hermione is mm-hmm. being cast off as being this irrational girl screaming and going on about, oh my God, save the elves, save the elves. And it's just, and what we become clear is that if you are not treating the elves right, no one is being treated right at all. That if right. some people, that justice isn't divisible. You can't have freedom because if wizards are living, we would see if wizards are living under oppression by Voldemort. Just imagine who the creatures, quote unquote, creatures are, are, are living under just the same thing. But again, this is something that. J.K. Rowling doesn't deal with it at all. We as readers, I guess, are left to pick up this issue. But that was the whole, just the whole, that thing bothered me tremendously, particularly when Hermione was trying to drum up support. And not even just from that level, but y'all can't even support y'all good Judy. This girl right. saved y'all life so many times. You would and think for, that whatever she wanted to do, we would be like, okay, even if we don't girl, want to, let's get the we find a way to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let me use my platform as Quidditch champion, you know, then to get some support here. Right. Nope. Right. These bitches just sat right there and be like, girl, whatever. 
<laughs> we like the extra food. But, but you bring but you bring up an interesting point because I think we it takes it takes um just so many things before Harry assumes a leadership role. You know, he is the main character, but I don't think anybody I mean, really, Hermione makes him take a leadership role in the next book. He doesn't assume a leadership role. So you talk about his platform. He never, it take, he has to be pushed um, and dragged into the role of leader, despite the, the things that he has been through, despite what he represents to the magical world. He is not, he, he is reluctant to assume the mantle of leader. And I think that's where you see when, you know, we'll get into it when we get down to get to that book. But, you know, it really does take a lot to push him from this reactor to assuming the mantle of leadership. And it's, it's reluctant um, for a very long time. And there's a word in the Caribbean, I would use it here. It is a, it's called fronted or frontish, meaning that you want to be in front of everything. But considering right. how very frontish Harry is, inside of all the big, like you, you gonna fight Voldemort, you gonna seek Voldemort out. But you know, right? I mean, you're ready to do this something that many grown with it. Like even your parents are running from this shit. You know what I mean? But right. To take the leadership role. You know what I mean? Sometimes I think I think we discussed it earlier on. I think it's one of those things I ask us to consider is how every time Harry's effort is mostly personal, that mm-hmm. his drive is is once it matters to me personally, and that right. it's not necessarily right. political. He does. He's not seeing the larger picture it is right it is Hermione who keeps pointing this out that you need to understand who and what you are in this situation and it's something he doesn't consider I mean granted that you know he doesn't he doesn't he never wanted any of this right who wants to be right. this person because your parents were, t- were killed right that right. The position this has put him in but I mean it is the thing that I find one of the things that most disappointed me about these characters of Harry Potter it's this it is this situation, most of mm-hmm. beyond anything else, because you literally interacted with Darby. You have seen the abuse of Darby, literally. Right. You right. have seen how Parliament firsthand. First I mean, when 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 Malfoy kicked Darby, ooh, if I could jump yeah. in a book, if I could right. jump in a book, Malfoy and I would have had words. We would have had. I would have thrown everything Dumbledore had in that office mm-hmm. on that man. And you have seen all of this. You have seen the difference in Dobby, um, what freedom meant to Dobby, right. right? You have seen how this all this was, whatever the case may be. But you only consider Dobby, and and it becomes a thing that you would see over and over again that he doesn't right. consider these things. That he is he too is looking down on these people. I don't say looking down, and not necessarily in a condescending manner. But they're afterthoughts. Right. He, he's not he considering. He's, consider- he's, he's only like, it's almost like I have a friend who is part of an oppressed group and I love my friend, but I don't have anything to say about what is what my friend is going through right. as part of a community. Um, so same way with Hagrid. I, yeah. you know, I care about Hagrid, but I have nothing to say about the way Hagrid is viewed by the rest of the community. It's just that I don't want him insulted. I don't I don't care anything mm. about the fact that 
who is who is he part as part of a community? So I, I totally agree with you. We've been but that friend, right? We had, we had that black yeah. friend that you know exactly. that black people have. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like exactly. I like them. I like Rios. You know what I mean? That they're part right. of this oppression that you know that they getting screwed out at work. Oh, okay, but they're so nice though, because right. you know in order ashamed, to fix the problem know? that is is messing up them, it means I am going to be uncomfortable. And I'm because, not ready I mean, for that. And that, because here's the thing, it's a magical world. You literally do not need house elves. You could fix every these problems. You could. You have seen spells to make fires appear, to clean things, make food appear out of nowhere. I mean, granted, you know, prepared food. We've seen this with Molly. We've seen it with with um, Professor McGonagall. We'll later find out that's not really how it works. Though I kind of think you messed up with that one, but. I just think, you know, so there's no real need to have slaves. There is no reason right. to have these people here, these, these, these being, exist in this manner. And that they've been offered no redemption and no saving, uh, or they themselves didn't take back the reins for themselves, because they know, because because they know with the dream, the reign of Lord Voldemort at any point, that they suffer even more. And I, I think we'll we'll talk quite about a lot about that when they get to the Ministry of Magic and we see the the statues, the statues right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that this isn't something. And even though, and again, this goes back to what I'm saying. You know, Dumbledore is one man because he talks about this situation, and you could see that he has. I thought it was so funny when they said, you know, Hogwarts has the largest set of things. I'm just like, this sounds like a plantation. A hundred? It's a plantation. I this think that it is everything that you're saying is correct, but it is also correct that this is an accurate representation of society. And I think that that could be why it's there. You know, I, this is right. how people behave. I mean, it, we we're living it right now. We see this all the time. We as black folks have seen this most our entire lives it isn't okay, but it is reality. But and a big part of Harry Potter is the relatability factor. It really but you, is. But it's, Janina, here, here is my being, problem with all of that. I, I don't disagree with your problems at all. I agree with your problems 100%. And I, I, I do. It's jacked up. I mean, it doesn't. it didn't necessarily need to be there. But it's not wrong that it's there because I think a huge part of the entire series are the little bits and pieces of human everyday muggle life that allows you as the muggle reader to relate to the structure of the magical world. And this is an ugly piece of it. It's an ugly piece of what we live with. As regular human beings every day saying, you know what, it's also here and people also do this here and we're going to see it. And I know we're going to talk about it more in the final podcast for this book, but, you know, the politics of it, it's it's unnecessary. You're you're right. They have magic like so many of the things that they have issue with. We think they should just be able to fix it with magic but it's all very political and this is a piece of that and i think that's why it's there i agree with what you're saying but i would counter that by saying because that is a standard answer we get all the time 
and it goes back to something that I often question is that even within the magical world, we're still not even giving a break because you know what? We would see in the end of this series that the problems for well, why would you be? Why would they be given a break? Hold on, hold on, wait, wait, wait. We now know that the author doesn't author doesn't give breaks to lots but, of groups, right? Exactly, but you know that that's what. It, it, but it, it tells you something. It's one of the things that I often wonder when it comes to children's book and fantasy book is that whereas we think that they're offering us a world where it's imaginative and it's giving us a new dimension and you know cool possibility in science fiction what in fact it is doing it is basically replicating and reinforcing society's many stereotypes it's not yes. changing anything for yeah. anyone yes it is oh yeah that and Absolutely. i think that's a big that's a big topic of conversation right now in children's and young adult literature is that in the absence of of voices from marginalized communities, many and, and very often well-meaning books are reinforcing the ideas that society, you know, is is that society perpetuates. So that that's a big, big part of this, is that people are just telling the stories that they know. And mm-hmm. if you're not opening the door for voices of folks who have a different lived experience, then that's what you're going to get. Over you're and over You're going to again. get the story over and over. Now you might have somebody who is able to do it in a witty way or with compelling characters or with theatrics, um, but you're going to get the same story until yep. you open the door for different voices who have a different perspective. I mean, at the end of our day, an author is a white woman. Mm -hmm. And I really think that's what this comes down to in the hierarchy of characters in the book. I really do. Um, You don't want, I I don't want to say you don't want to think of it that way, but what other way is there really to think of it? Like, you know, if you don't have somebody to break that up and offer something different, this is what you're going to be given over and over and over again. And it is you know, it kind of, it is what it is. I, I'm not saying that it's okay, but no, this I, is what you get. I mean, like, that's not what I'm saying, because I, I I understand what both of you are saying, and I think Deb, you would, Deb would, would be far more intimately familiar with the inner politics of children religion than both you, Janina, and I would be. But what I'm talking about is, is that I'm getting at a, Maybe I don't know if I'm repeating myself here, but what is rather interesting to me when I follow this particular plot line within the books is that she offers these people no redemption, right? She right. saves the, the whole thing trope for the white dude, right? Right. And the right. girl who has been there for the most part, though she being white, she accepts her place as being the secondary character. She accepts right. her place. She doesn't question, you know, like I have contributed. You know, because if she were to say, if she were to speak up, you know, everyone's just like, why are you making all this noise? As we see when she starts with the um, society, SPEW, you know, and, and this is the thing that I find rather insidious is that you created this whole world when you had the whole imaginative freedom to do so. It's like Superman, you know, can shoot laser beam out of his eyes. But when someone say Wonder Woman is stronger than Superman, they're like, that's impossible. I'm like, but you know what? A beam out of his eye. I mean, I think, I you think have to has... remember that this was written 20 years ago. 20 uh, years. 
that but yeah. these books came out. I think if Harry Potter was imagined today, given the current climate of the she world, she would have written the same it book. Might have, it might have been she, different. She would have written the same book. She would have written the same people, book. Other people would have written something different. Other people have, have written, written something, some, something, different. something different. I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I read um, when I was going to so many Harry Potter conferences was, I think I may have told you, it was a, a book called um, J.K. Rowling's Bookshelf. And it talked about the influences on her. And so you're going to get, so not only are you going to get someone who is of a certain and particular time, mm-hmm. her influences were even further back than that. You know, right. Jane Austen, Charles Dickens, all of these were influences, even from times even less progressive than we are talking about right now. Yeah. So you're talking about people, you know, who are perpetuating a, a story that they know and put, but they put the spin on it that they mm-hmm. put on it. And that's what, that's what intrigued people was that she was able to do some things with character and language and um, plot and, and um, they were looking pacing, at the white people. all of those things. They were looking at yeah. the white people. Mm-hmm. They were just looking right. at the white Because it is, right. because, and I'm, let me be, um, point out for the readers, it's, it's not just the elves. I think the elves is the one that we get far more information right. about. Because right. we, the elves have been integrated into Harry's personal lives. But the goblins are mistreated. Like, they are clearly yeah. stereotypical views of Jewish people. Just the mm-hmm. whole money, hungry, fascinated by jewels, and we would see how their love of treasure would play out in later books. And even the whole, how they're very precise, I, I think, the, the politics of the language they're playing when it comes to betting with Ludo Bagman. This is straight out of Shakespeare, Merchant of Venice. And also Dickens. Mm-hmm. If you, anyone has ever read, um, what's that book called? Oliver Twist. Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. The way in yeah. which that man has spoken about Jewish. Mm-hmm. It is, there are times when he totally forgets Fagin. Like, when I read Oliver Twist, I just kept, I think I told Junina this, just like, every time I see Fagin about to come up, I'm just like, oh, good Jesus. Because Dickens continually calls this man the Jew. The mm-hmm. Jew. Like, he continually refers to him as that. In fact, there was a notation in the um, Penguin classic where a woman who was Jewish, said to him, why are you writing this? Like, come on now, we like your work and whatever. You know what he told the woman? It is what it is, woman. This is who Jewish people are. And it was just like, the fuck is wrong with this mm-hmm. dude? Like, this mm-hmm. is- I think it's something that we don't like to investigate too much when you're just wanting to read something for pleasure. When you just want to read a story and it just be a story and have it be fun and entertaining or funny, you know, you just want to take it all for what it is at face value and move on. But the truth is, you know, exactly what you're saying. You have to consider who the writer is, uh, what their influences are, where they grew up, what they've been exposed to, what their personal experiences are, because we know that writers draw on all of this when they're creating something, you know, there's a little piece of them in that writing always, you know, but it's just not something that people, I don't, I don't think people look at that. I often, for myself, 
I don't always want to know about an author because I don't want it to ruin my story. <laughs> like, I don't want to know, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to know. I just, I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know about them. I just want to know about their work. But it is important. But, but you see, but you see, I think you're pointing at something here, which is, again, you're given the usual defense here. But what we are engaging here with Rowling is not even her personal life, which we know is problematic. We're engaging in the work itself. Within the work is embedded right. these yeah. biases and these problematic yeah. nature. Because because my thing, I, I remember James Baldwin said something. He said when he was younger, he used to be cheering for Gary Cooper's Gary Cooper got rid of the Indians. Then he realized, oh, wait, I am the Indian. Right. I right. should be cheering right. for these people. Mm-hmm. And this is the insidious yes. nature of these kind of books is that we're sitting here and we're happy for Harry's triumph, right? But we are happy, but what we are triumphing and what we are, we, we are enforcing is the white patriarchy. It's that we do not recognize, and that recognize that if Harry can be free, if Harry's life can be avoid, voided <clears throat> of, should be avoided of evil and all this maniacal madness that's happening around, that so should everybody. That if mm-hmm. Harry lives matter, I agree. that everybody totally. else's lives matter at the same time. And that in, in fact, in what I think what Hermione is pointing to here is that elves' lives matter. It's because yeah, when right. elves' lives right. matter, you are absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely matter. right. And I think that she is the Hermione is very often the conscience of the of the series. Not just the brains of the series. But she's often the conscience of the series. And then that gets pushed aside. It's mentioned and then pushed Always. aside for the larger right. issue of like Harry's problems. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the mind yeah. everyone says, you know what, girl, you do you, you do you. I mean, I'm even little stuff. He, Harry gets the map. Harry, you shouldn't have that. That's dangerous. You know, what if this gets in the hands of the wrong person? And Ron and Harry are like, oh, no, we're not giving this up. You kidding me? Right. This is gold. I mean, you're right. She is always almost always the conscious the moral fiber right. of everything you know and yes and what makes her so we we overlook and forgive her for the times when she's not because it's when she does something bad it's like for the greater good but even though her rule breaking is still rule breaking you know she's still mm-hmm. breaking into uh to the to Snape's office to steal these things, you know, but it, it's for a that bigger alone, reason. That alone is supposed to give Hermione crown jewels because that is a feat enough itself that you really? break into Snape's, Snape's, you know, potions yeah. cabinet, know exactly what to take because Snape's is, as we can tell, Snape is just like, I put a magical seal that no one else, and I just thought that was really That's crazy. Right. I was just like, Snape, who else do you think is going to break in there but another wizard or witch? Right. You know what and I mean? Like why, who is it? And then why are you accusing Harry of of stealing your gillyweed when you you know what Harry is capable of Thank and you. that's not you know that's not that's not workable. Potions so, is not his specialty, Bill. Harry yeah, don't know what so, weed looks like from Gilly from like he won't know what it is he needs to take. Shit, he's right. got it in his possession, and he's like, I don't know if I want to eat this. Dobby already tried to help me and but, kill me once. It didn't, right, <laughs> but, it didn't work out. But uh, but you know, there's a there's a, a very a slight thing that's mentioned there that is kind of on it that it shows again that elves are able to bypass wizarding magic. 
because yep. they don't even consider yep. them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a little bit like um, we were we were talking on Twitter the other day and people were talking about, oh, you know, I, um, you know, I loved Hamilton, but there were some issues with it and what have you. And I said, well, you know, I loved it, but it sent me looking for the truth. It didn't yeah. make me think, oh, George Washington was, you know, Paragon or you know, I went looking for the truth. And I found out that Hercules Mulligan, you know, he was a spy on the inside, but it was his slave Cato that was actually taking the messages. See, so it's one of those things where, you know, it, it, it's very, um, what I think it's so fascinating about this is that sometimes you think people just think it's just a book. And I was, I even mentioned this yesterday that Edward Said said something I thought in um, Cultural and Imperialism. He said, you know, that how the novel is the purveyor of culture, that mm-hmm. how much of culture is transmitted in the novel. Sure. And that if, you, if you think about when people quote um, information and, you know, civilization about whatever, they quote in some book. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people point up, you know, like, oh, my God, Huckleberry Finn is the greatest American novel ever. I was like, really? Who are you talking to? For who? That in a, a semi-illiterate man, boy strung around a grown-ass man who he knew was free from the beginning just for company? That's what you all call a great American novel? What am I supposed to do with that information? And that despite the fact that Huck, that Jim treated Huck like, like a child, like his own child and fathered and protected him, that Huck kept Jim, kept from Jim the information that Jim was free. And Jim was away from his family that he wanted to be with. And Jim almost got killed because Huck wanted to play a game. Uh-uh. I don't know who y'all think this is a game for, a joke for. But this ain't it. This is not a great American novel. I don't know. But because y'all have a little piddle paddle, you know, because Huck didn't sell Jim out, you know, Huck didn't do this, that Huck was kind to Jim. That's all, that's all y'all are concerned about. That just shows, you know, like, who is civilized and y'all are blaming the wider society when what we're seeing here, in, in particular in this novel here, in the, is that forget about the wider extent of the politics of the situation here, which we know is problematic. It is the personal that is informing the politics. Because I think I made a note to say, you know, everyone is getting mad at Voldemort and Voldemort is talking about pure blood first, etc. But here you are, regular wizards are saying it is wizards first humans first humans first over all of the other magical creatures that everyone else is not only secondary they're second class citizens they all are in service to the wizarding world and yeah when i get mad because one man decided he's gonna even further categorize this group and make some of y'all second class citizens y'all created this mess if y'all had a society where everyone was free and everyone was equal yeah, as soon as one person say one group is not, you would have seen, you would have had an easier time to 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 stifle that problem. But because half of you all had this problem, we all love to categorize and put people in neat little boxes and saying we are better than this people. This is why you have this problem here. But I think Janine is going to send us a message to say we're off. We're nearly five hours long now. <laughs> <laughs> we're not, but we are way off topic of what we said we were going to talk about. Okay, but you know, I mean, this is what I'm trying. Remember, I said that I think that the tasks are just like 
sidelines. What they time are. Here? I mean, we when you read this for the first time, I think when you you know you think that this is the integral part of the story, the tasks, and it's just it's really not. It really isn't. There's so much going around on around the tasks. Um, there's so much more to dig into, which clearly you know we have. You could almost take the tasks out and still have an amazing story. Right. You really could. But two, two things I want to get in before we... Because there isn't much of the third task we can really talk about. But I just think there's three things we could mention. You know, um, We can talk about how cool being in the lake was. I, I, I like to think the ocean. We can talk about the fact that Mr. Crouch showed up in Hogwarts, which he's not supposed to be able to show up into, just walking off the grounds, but you know. I can't remember if I said this privately or on one of the podcasts, but because I've seen the movie so many times, I feel like this movie's on TV a lot. So I'm reading the book, Harry is asleep in the library, and I just keep waiting and waiting and waiting for Neville to show up to give him the gillyweed. <laughs> And I'm like, where's Neville? When is this going to happen? And it's not happening. And then, boom, it's Dobby. I had completely forgotten. See, this is why I don't like movies that are made from books sometimes. Because that, to me, was something that did not need to be changed at all. I mean, I just... That was stupid. Like, let it stay the way that it was. We didn't need Neville to provide that. Neville has his moment later, and, you know, we could have stuck with that. That's fine. But I was I was really thrown for a loop there. I was really waiting for Neville to show up to give Harry that damn gillyweed, and I was actually getting a little anxious. Like, oh, my God, it's not going to happen. Like, no, like I got a bad copy. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's altered it. <laughs> so before Janina tells us, you know, we're going like a bazillion hours over um, schedule. I just want to like, sort of wrap up, you know, like to think that we sort of deal it because it always end up, you know, we such nerd, we are such nerds. We always get into some existential questions and issue, philosophical question, I should say, about the books when we're just kind of basically wanting to deal with plot points and details, you know. But you know, it's how we do it. Um, I want to mention, one, how cool being in the lake w- is, which I think is an ocean. It's sort of like, I thought it was sort of dingy. And can I just mention as a sidebar that Morning Myrtle is a pervert? Let's just... <laughs> <laughs> can we just mention that as a sidebar, right? I, that she's... I think if you've got to, if you're, if you're confined to a, a U-Bend, you know, any little excitement you can get, you gotta go yeah, for it. Yeah, you gotta go for it, man. A lot of dirty talk, right? You you have a dirty mind because you know so much dirt. I just love that Harry flat out asks her, do you like watch people take baths? And she's like, sometimes. You know what's funny? <laughs> is that when I read the book the first time when Cedric got out, nearly all of the bubbles were gone. Ooh. <laughs> when I was reading the book the first time, I was just like, is Harry naked in here? Let me just try to make sure that he's not really naked, right? Because, but it's funny, right? Because they were in a girl's bathroom all the time, like in the second book. They yeah. literally lived in a girl's bathroom and no one cared anything about her privacy or privacy, as they would say. But now, in the, in the flip side, Moaning Myrtle is like, mm, yeah. And you know how even Myrtle is problematic. Um, even for mermaids, right? As for mer people, that she's just mm-hmm. an annoying woman. Even they don't like her, <laughs> right? And, um, 
even that's another issue that you know we could probably deal with, like you know, ghost issues, which we would see come out later on, right? That ghosts, you know, even in death, they're still holding on to memories, um, they're still holding on to regret and all their issues. That doesn't solve any of their issues from the past, from their their lived experience. Um the ball, the triwizarding ball, the Yule ball, when Hermione gets all dolled up and, um, you know, she got her hair all like, damn you, Ron. She walks right by and you don't even know who she is. Girl, none all of right? them knew Hermione was. None of them. The Patel. None of them knew. None of them. Hermione came in and she had a Versace on, you know what I mean? And she got her hair done. Vidal Sassoon. You know, it is the 90s, right? It is the 90s after all. It is the 90s. But when I got her hair done, she got her teeth fixed. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) she got it all done, and everyone was just like, and she's going Mm -hmm. out with an an adult, and she's only 14. But we're not. (laughs) They just go into a dance. No, um, Victor invited her to his house. Involved. Yeah, but she yeah. didn't. She didn't She's go. 14. Yeah, she didn't go because you know. The underlying message here is Victor Crumb is a pervert. <laughs> Victor Crumb is an adult. He's a pedophile. <laughs> Reels only you, only you would have picked up on that. I never gave that two thoughts until I, you brought I, it up. Never. I did, th- I did. I I must admit I did. I did think about the difference in their ages um, when he was hanging around her. And, um, but I just, re- you know, I also realized, <clears throat> this is where a lot of the, the sports guys get into trouble. <clears throat> they don't mature. Mm-mm. They really don't mature because everything about their lives has been devoted to sports. And so they might be 18 years, be an 18 year old and in an 18 year old body, but socially and psychologically very often they're still 14 or 15 themselves whenever they showed promise or athletic prowess. However, so, I know. He's always the, in the company of older, older but wizards, right? let's also consider where this is taking place. Now, either way, she's underage. Yeah, but yeah. being of age in England is younger than it is in the States. So we're yes, stuck on this him being 18, right? Yeah. We're completely stuck on that because that is our, you are an adult. I think it's 16. She was 14, though. Right. She's yeah. still only 14, she's but it's, she's young. But I, I think that um, if, if we have a situation, let's, let's think about this realistically. You have, a boy who is a senior in high school and he's 18 and you have a girl who is a sophomore and she's 16. Do you tell them that they can't date? They're both high school students. Do you say, no, you're too young because like that's, well, you know, 16 and 18 is two different thing. I think there are rules. But yeah, I'm, thinking, I I'm thinking of, I, I, I do too, but I'm, th- I'm trying to think of it in terms of culture. And I'm thinking like, she's two years away from being, of age, whereas if the girl is 16, then he she's still also two years away from being un- of age, even though there's a, the bigger gap. That's as a where parent, I, just, I would be uncomfortable with such a situation. I would too. Anyway, you know what? Particularly if he's I've going honestly, off to be in college. But what I'm saying is happening here 
is that Victor, though it's not implied, Durmstrung have girls. You understand what I'm saying? And I mean, I can understand the attraction to Hermione. She's seemingly good looking. She's the smartest person in the school. I mean, like she is, she has an amazing, you know, she's funny, you know what I mean? And she is, mm-hmm. you know, Victor into bright, you know. He, unlike Harry and Ron, knows the power of having a Hermione, right? She can teach right. me some stuff, right? right? I'm sure Hermione probably teach him how to do that thing. It, there's no, you can't tell me nothing else. Is that that he ain't too smart to figure out how to turn into a, and a shark in a, a freshwater yeah. lake, but that's a whole other issue. But um, <laughs> how do you know it's a freshwater lake? <laughs> it is. Totally I know. Jesus. And there are squids in there too, like because mm, it's landlocked. It's a but magical anyhow. lake. Uh, but um, what I think it's a. It is a sort of a thing that happens, you know, where these things are put in and we're supposed to. And it's, it is the kind of insidious nature of how girls are treated in this sort of a, this manner and how sexual interplay is discussed here, um, but not discussed. We're all supposed to look at this and be like, oh, cool, Hermione's going out with the star Quidditch player. And no one is just like, hold up, she is 14. Mm-hmm. She's 14. It's one thing if he asked her out to the dance, that's just that. But he was, he's genuinely into her. I never felt this way about another girl. Yeah, it's like, come <laughs> come to my house this summer. Like, you don't think, you don't think Victor's parents could tell him what to do? You could totally see Victor telling his parents to leave the house. I don't you know, I just, I, 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 I genuinely just chalked it all up to cultural differences and maybe I, I didn't get it. I did. I, 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 think, I think this is what you're supposed to, ordinary people are supposed to feel and think about. Because I was actually, when Victor showed up, I was just like, what's Victor doing here? Ain't he an adult? You know what I mean? When he showed up at the thing, I was just like, they're like, oh, no. No, because remember at the, at the, at the, um, Quidditch. The, uh, Quidditch they say he's the he, youngest he's ever. He's the youngest. Yeah. And, you I, know, he's the youngest I mean, I got ever. all of that. I got all of that, but I didn't think that he was in school when he showed up in school. I was well. You would think he wouldn't be in school and competing on a national Quidditch league, right? Right. You wouldn't. They do shit different there. (laughs) As I was reading it this time around, I was just like, "Oh, this was what was bothering me um, about the um, the relationship." Yeah, it's a little odd. (laughs) <laughs> but, um, but, I, but, I, but you know it's interesting to me because I don't think Hermione was ever going to let that get but so far no I don't think she was ever really into him period it was always I he's really she... nice and this is about building relationships with other wizarding communities I don't think it was really like a love affair for her where no, he clearly was into her because she, she was clearly into Ron always always yeah and mm. I think she was also I mean, oh, she, I think she was interested in him because you know he, he expressed an interest in her, and she she found it interesting, and she liked she probably liked teaching him things, and you know what kind of and he was different and from the other petty. boys that she was around. Hermione is petty. Hermione was getting back to all of those other bitches <laughs> in school who was dragged. Even Pansy Parkinson had to be like, mm-hmm. girl, she looked, she did the darn thing. Hermione is petty. We can say that. It's okay. Well, She's I don't petty. think it's. And I, and petty she was showing up all was, these other girls who were trying yeah. to think Hermione was just a book nerd. And they yeah, thought Hermione knows right. how to. And I, I don't think that's petty. I think that's normal. Like, I'm going to show you guys that I, there's more to me than what you that's think. That's normal teenage and behavior, I, is what exactly. it all is. Exactly. Yeah. If, if exactly. you studied your books, you could make up a nice hair portion. 
if you just studied like your photo, I did, and I know <laughs> right. how to you know right. magically make a dress appear and all of this stuff, just like I, I know did. what to do. But you notice the the um the crazy thing that was said, and I think um we talk Janine and I laughed about this when we talk about book six is that Regis Skeeter then writes this story, her mind is whipping up um magic love potion to capture Victor. Right. Sweetie, right. that is Rohypnol. That ain't okay. Cordell has this idea of the love right. potion that is making somebody in love with you. And you would see how disastrous those consequences are because this is I can't begin to tell you when I was reading book six and this issue came up, I was like, I need to read this again. Because I do not believe what I'm reading here is what it's really saying is happening. Clearly, oh, somebody got some information wrong. We need to. I was hoping at the end of the book, you know, that you know, sometimes you know the books give you a clarification of what you think what was happening in the beginning. I was just like, oh no. No. But you know, no, when you think about stuff. magic and stuff, I mean I think it's natural. She had to get a love potion of some sort in there at some point. And it, it, it's going to come up again, remember? But right. I mean, when you six. think magic, wizards, witches, relationships, you always think love potions. That's in every magical story ever. There's some kind of love potion going on. So it had to be there. Like, it had yeah, to. Yeah, I, I mean, I do know, the, the, the again, I said the theatrics of it. But what I thought was interesting was how this woman, Rita Skeeter, a grown woman, and we haven't even got to Rita, you know, we can deal with Rita now, but Rita is such a vicious character. And I'm not even talking about this. She's like, a troll. She's problematic. Because <laughs> you, you, this woman took on a vendetta against a little child. Like a yes, 40-year-old. Like you literally went on a road because a little girl literally told you that you were writing. Like, because Rita, if anybody say right in masterpieces, girl, this is what you live for. This is who you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you got yeah. that you got mad at this little girl for nothing. And you you literally unleashed the hordes on this girl. Because people were sending her basically death threats. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, people people send the magical sap, but to me, I guess it's because it's a children's book. Because surely somebody said, you know, die, bitch, die. Somebody clearly said that to this girl. You know what I mean? You literally said um, yeah, currently school having the security about reading, about checking packages <laughs> that roll up into the school. But, you know, I, I just thought that was such an insidious thing. And to me, you know, I, as I heard somebody say, she better be, Rita better be lucky. Hermione was just looking for justice and not revenge because I would have squashed that bitch. Mm-hmm. I would have that bitch. <laughs> I wonder what happens if you kill, uh, you know, someone in their Animongus form. I think in in that they would trans retransform. I don't know. We don't know. Because I think this is why this is why Peter Pettigrew was afraid of Crookshank. Because he was afraid that Crookshank was going to kill him. He he would die, but I mean like I think his body would retransform because whatever magic uh uh, uh, uh mindset that is. Yeah, but we him. know that Crookshanks was trying to get him and take him to Sirius. Well Crookshank was always suspicious of um before Sirius became it, Crookshank right. was always suspicious yeah. of the um of of Scabbers. But we find out later was, that they were right. actually working together. Right. So it's hard to say. It's hard to say. 
I think it would have been. I think I, I imagine he would have transformed back, like with whatever is missing. Like if Krokland had bitten off his head. I mean, I don't think you. I I don't think I don't want to imagine a head would have grown in Crookshank's belly. But you know what I mean. Like, I I think Crookshank would have known not to eat him. Crookshank would have known just to you know kill it. <laughs> you know what I mean. Right. Like, because Crookshank was looking to capture it. Like there was a way in Crookshank knew he could have uh, get it and take it too serious. But um, not to you know bog down in the weeds of that situation. I really did, but I mean, like I, I would say from a purely without the age, if they were the same age, I actually see Victor as being a really cool person for Hermione. She can he, he loves to travel. He listens to what she has to say. Let me tell you something. Had Hermione tried to recruit Victor for Spew, that shit would have been over. Victor would have been Spew everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> Hermione just had to say the word. But she gone pick some carrot tops, girl. I'm telling you, you just have to wait three more years, Hermione. Just three more oh years. Oh my god. And Victor would have been the one for you. I mean, I don't know, but um, the, the, I'm just saying, girl. You know, Ron is not the one for you, but you know, I laugh. They say, you know, yeah, I gotta stick with the same people, y'all know. But um, I think the other issue we mentioned is um, the um, pensive. Yes. Which I think we may have mentioned earlier, but again, that is one of those magical objects I think is rather cool, where you can take the memory and put it out, pour it out, and basically see it for what it really was, as opposed to you clouding the memory with, you know, your impression. That the implication is that your brain is taking an actual record. It's like almost, I think we have a similar thing in how we do hypnosis. To recall memory, where yeah. through in hypnosis you're actually capturing more of what the eye actually saw, what the brain recorded, and not what you choose to remember, which we know is memory. Some could be somewhat imperfect. That other things can play on a memory, as opposed to what actually happened. But I thought that was really cool. Um, I, I want a pencil. <laughs> I want a pensives. I, I would be so petty with that shit. You I'd be like, you know what? Let me, let me remember what you just said, and then I'd pull it all back out at once, like, look, right. motherfucker. You know what? I you don't. Pencil. You don't think you said it? Jump in. I'm gonna show you that you said it. <laughs> well, what I'm I'm interested in a pensive for even much more interesting things. Something probably like Dumbled. Maybe some of the good times you think you were having weren't that great. Go back to like, you know, like it's like, oh. This is such an amazing experience when you go back as an age and it's like, yeah. So you can avoid some of those mistakes. Because I think that's what Dumbledore was seeing, right? That he had mm-hmm. missed something. Something had went on in which he had remembered something in one way. And there was a lot going on that you don't necessarily... That you may have seen because you're focusing on one thing or the other. Um, and I thought this was rather um, an interesting um, thing. I was just like, oh, this is really cool. And I'm surprised, you know, that, you know, again, Harry's and just like being Dumbledore's office. You know, if I went into the principal office ever and I'm in there by myself, you best believe I am watching every single thing I can see in there. You know what I mean? Just mindful that, you know, he's coming. Let me pee. And I've been in my principal's office many times. Listen. And I, you best believe I'm looking at everything. I'm gonna and take a chance. I'm gonna take a chance that that the administration of the company that I work for doesn't listen to this. I record everything. <laughs> everything. Don't ever fucking call me into a meeting. 
because I'm pressing record on my phone, sticking that shit in my pocket, and I will always have it. That is important because you know how people are about about mm-hmm. why we do this. That not only is memory imperfect, people's bad memories is deliberate. You know yep. what I mean? It's yep. Tough. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not how I heard it. Yeah. Here's the receipt. (laughs) So um, it is one of those things. And then that was a cool. um, And thank you, Deb, because I think Deb put me to be like, look out for the magical objects and artifacts that you like. And I just like, oh, I just never (laughs) even I've I've never even considered them to be those things. Right. I just like, you know, like like every book sort of introduces a new one. And it's that is a pretty cool one. That's a pretty cool one. It's very, very cool. and I think Dumbledore, um, you know, is a is someone who knows how to use that particular magical object extremely well. And like you said, I mean, I mean, considering his age, considering all the things he has experienced, he has to put some of those memories there because, um, you know, he just can't carry it all. But I think he it's a really cool um, object to have, and he really does know how to use it. Um, at the right time. And I think we said in the third book, Dumbledore is constantly pacing his office. So he's constantly contemplating and thinking about yeah, things. Saying, I mean, yeah. Like, you know, he, yeah. and, and we would later know this man is trying to save a whole world. A whole damn <laughs> I mean, world. A whole damn mm-hmm. world. Through like a being, you know what I mean? Like he has to, it requires, you know, ex, you know, amazing um, planning. And we would later yeah. mean that, you know, that he has the experts and wisdom of the whole Hogwarts history, <laughs> you know, I mean, principal history at his disposal. So that I even that I think is rather cool. Do I think, God, you can't even do any hanky panky in your office because all these people are in, in your business. Like, <laughs> the off. portraits are watching. The portraits are watching. <laughs> so that's why that sometimes. Jealous will tell on you. Oh, my God. Is he a snitch? <laughs> A jealous will tell on you. And he's in three places, right? He's in his house, he's in the school, uh-huh. and he's in the Ministry of Magic. <laughs> like, exactly. Watch like everywhere. He's, he's in everywhere. everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. And I think one of the interesting, fascinating things, fascinating things that happened before the... Um, apparently, a dragon is in the background, Janina. <laughs> it might be a dragon. <laughs> it sounded like one. Oh, Jesus. Um, I think the appearance of that, we find out that Mr. Crouch has been missing for a very long time and people are suspicious and Percy Weasley is rather like, "Mm, Percy Weasley showed up for the second task and I think he showed up for the dinner. No, 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 he didn't show Mm -hmm. up for the dinner. Um, When the dinner showed up, you know, um, Mr. Crouch refused to stay the night. And then when the second task came around, Percy showed up instead to judge the marks. And as much as Ron is giving him, uh, Percy some um, drama, you see how caring and loving Percy was. And really and truly, everybody believed that they were in the lake about to drown. And I'm just like, and I wondered if the if they could see what was happening in the lake, which was kind of shitty. That's a boring task to so just sit there and as a spectator bit, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think the only reason why we love the first task is because it's the only one that was spectacular and also spectatable. It's the only one we can actually see that what was happening. The others were in a labyrinth and under the under the ocean ocean lake, and we just have to wait for the end. 
and the right. end was not always pretty. So I, I you know, it's you know, I, I do you're right, Deb, you know, the first task is I was looking at it because oh I was in all the business, right? Because I was looking at it, oh, I was with Harry all the way. So I'm just like, oh, the, the labyrinth bits sound really cool. I'm just like, wait, as a spectator, I can't see anything. But we would realize that Mr. Crouch is somewhat missing. And what I loved about this, you know, the magical world being the magical world as always, we went by his house and looked like no one's in there. So we just went away. You got magic, people. You got magic. You can go into the house. You know what I mean? At least take Moody with you with his eye. Your boss is, well, you wouldn't take Moody. But I mean, you're, you're the Ministry of Magic. A man is missing from work. And you go by right. his house and just ring the doorbell? That is what I would do. And you peep by the window and see that no one's in there. And you didn't go in? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And again, you didn't even question the house elf who knows him well? You know what I mean? It's just the whole... Um, it's just the whole nature in which how magic goes about its its most pertinent business. Berta Jockin is still missing. And again, it's only now we're going to look for her. Like, <laughs> I mean, what's how how do you have to solve any problem you have here? But interesting enough, Mr. Crouch shows up on the grounds and she says he has to tell Dumbledore something is a secret. You know, he did something really terrible and that Berta Jockins is dead. Um, so Harry, Harry runs to go save him. And Dumbledore comes back and Mr. Crouch is disappeared. And everyone is just like, why did you go off with Victor Crumb? And I was just like, what is going on in this world? Why do you all think Victor Crumb is a maniacal evil person that Harry is He's Hitler. Like, he's why, do you let, why are you letting this person into You know what I mean? Like, why is such a person, mm-hmm. if he's that crazy, why is he in the school? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why is Drumstrong even present? And what he's going to do, kill off Harry before... A thousand galleons? I mean, people have done stranger things for money, but you know, it was really like I, I was just like, I, don't y'all think y'all are being more over the top? Y'all had Draco Malfoy, that y'all don't seem to think about him, but y'all care about like, you know, why would Victor be so hung up about Harry? But that was that was uh, interesting, and the story of that, how that what happened really come happened to Mr. Crouch was even much more shocking than I would. It shocked me. More than I, I thought that I wanted to believe. Yeah, I, I thought the whole way that it ends and all of the different intricate pieces of of it, um, from Winky, I mean, all of the pieces of it, uh, just make it a fascinating ending. And you can see why um, Goblet of Fire has that punch, not just with in, in terms of the graveyard scene that we're going to talk about later, but also all the things that lead up to it. Yeah, th- that I think was um for me it was just like ooh. Again, it's sometimes it's a re- it's only at the end. Sometimes you're reading this book and it's just like you're like lollygagging, I guess. You know, but the end is just like when J.K. Rowling saved the, the best, just kick you in the throat. We just like aha. This ain't a children's book, boo. This is not what it is about. You know what I mean? Children, there is something here. I think for me, I think that there's always something in the end that I think only adults can contemplate what's actually at stake here and -hmm. what is really the full impact of what she's talking about or what has just passed. And I think even Harry is 
misses all of this sometimes because you know as usual he's given chocolate that put to bed so right. he can't even <laughs> grapple with you know what I mean like but I I do think um I do think that this is the this is where he um you know we talk about the third book being a turning point in terms of the darkness and what have you but I do think here the things that he sees and experiences do change they they complete the turn so to speak um, in terms of whether what kind of book it completes the turn into YA for me because of the way it handles these adult issues. Oh, so so you're moving from a shift from children's yeah. literature to young so adult what, literature. Young adult. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I never. I've always considered them to be one and the same, but I. Well, the, that is true. The but you're right. World, for the publishing world, I mean, they they're published under the same houses, so for all intents and purposes. You know the same the same umbrella covers them both, but there are stipulations and there are kind of um, factors that will say what's children's, what's YA, and not just the age of the protagonist. Okay, just the con the content. The content as well, and not okay. just violence or sexuality or anything like that. It's just sometimes the complexity of the of the themes will will render a book YA rather than children's. So I think, you know, this is a neat way to sort of end so Janina doesn't have a conniption uh, about <laughs> time. Um, we're in the I late. Don't, I don't know why you're always blaming this on me. Because, you know, um, I should point out to people, if you've listened, that Janina is the technical advisor for this I was whole say, Black yes. Black <laughs> Progress. And we don't give her enough She'd props. Won. I know I dog on her, you know what I mean? But as someone who, who for years did most of the technical um, work, for the um, tennis podcast itself, it is a relief. It is. It is. You do. I. 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 When Janina talked about you know manipulating all of this for the putting out a, a finished product for you, I know it's a lot of work. And all I keep thinking, I'm glad it ain't me. I'm glad it ain't me. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think about it all the time because. It can drive you insane. It could, It's like being stuck in the lake, right? You feel like you're <laughs> underwater, and it's just like you gotta get up, you gotta finish, but you, you can't right. go, right? You're still stuck there. You still have to break the surface. So, you know, we should give her a special shout out. Um, so, despite all of these things that are happening, that we've covered a lot of drama and politics that are happening, the Try with the tournament is still ongoing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Harry was um Victor Crumb was stunned. They were just, you know, Harry's mending his relationship with his friend, Ron. They're getting back. There was something up foul everywhere. George and Fred seem to be up to no good. Hermione's trying to get into this SPEW politics. You know, um Harry seemed to be much more in danger. Sirius comes back, even though Harry doesn't want him. And Sirius is saying, you know, there's a lot of strange things that are going on. There's a lot. Bertha Jorkin's disappearance is not mistaken. Um, Harry finds out that, you know, that, you know, um, Sirius is talking to Dumbledore because apparently Harry just thinks Sirius would talk to him only. But, <laughs> yeah. okay. All right, Harry. I mean, like, who saved Sirius? Wasn't it Dumbledore came up with the plan? I mean, it's like, okay. So Dumbledore's going to be like, see you later, Sirius. You know, good luck out there, boo. You know what I mean? Like, it's Dumbledore. And we realize that Dumbledore knows a lot of places, you know, around. Dumbledore, you know, Dumbledore suggested this cave that they're in. And Harry has to go through the final task of 
comp- going through a labyrinth and Harry is being that reactor that he is Deb loves so much Harry realizes you know this is too easy you know that there is some sense of I shouldn't be getting through this thing so so easily and we would definitely see that you know he's getting some help and Harry does the noble thing and this is again um you know, we see, we, we, I don't want to give it away. Janina tells me, you know, don't be a spoiler. <laughs> uh, don't spoil the thing. But, you know, he is... We would see how this ends. You know, I'm looking forward to... Um, let's just see, you know, because I don't want to seem like, you know... Did we cover everything so far? Do you think that we've tightened everything? So that when we get to the graveyard scene that we have sufficient... Anything we missed? I think we have to include the third task with the graveyard scene because they're intri- they're, they're so they're intimately intertwined. Yes. So I think we we third, definitely need to do that. The third task is basically the third the task. Group, yeah. The graveyard. Yeah. Because that's <laughs> where it ends. Mm-hmm. So we'll stop here. Okay. And uh, so, but before but every, we covered everything pretty much in this book. Is there something that stood out before we get to the graveyard um, that come to mind you want to discuss uh just you know point out not nothing major but i you know we touched on the ball i just want to say that that whole situation was young and fun for me you know the whole of oh my gosh we have to get a date and i just want to take the best looking person who cares you know what type of person they are that is so typical kid stuff and yeah. it was refreshing it's it's refreshing to have pieces of things like that in the middle of something that is ultimately somewhat dark and that was just fun i love it when i reach that part of the book i really really do because it is very youthful and childlike and adolescent just craziness like oh my gosh i have to dance in front of people i don't know how to dance oh shit i need a date what do you mean i gotta have a date i i gotta find a date we both gotta have dates and you know ron and his whole dress robe debacle you know always always there's gonna be someone at the dance at the ball who doesn't like what they're wearing, but that's the only choice that they had. I mean, these are all very real issues to kids of that age. And, you know, as I go through that part of this book, I giggle and I laugh. But these are, like, really heavy things for a kid that age. That's It's like that stuff can be traumatic. I remember, I remember going to a dance at this age and um, having a date and, you know, oh, my God, is my hair going to be OK? What if this dress isn't really good? And, you know, all the things that you think about, that was all very real. And I loved it. I really, really loved that piece of the book. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the thing, reasons that they were that this book was so successful with and, and loved, beloved by so many was that was that mix of humor and serious and mm-hmm. action and um and all adolescent of the various, and, and adolescence yeah all of it was all because it's, it's all a, there a part of the mix 
that I think that's why it works so well for so many people. That even though Harry has Voldemort chasing behind him, and Harry's still thinking about, why do I wait a ball? Like, who do I go with? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, gonna be my day. The priorities. Exactly. You know what I mean? exactly. But I thought it was um, interesting about this whole um, scenario. It's how that they were in, because again, I said, you know, Harry's experience, you know, Harry's school system was so like mine. And what was funny is that it's until they're 14, they're just like, oh, they're girls that go at this school. It just shows you how boys travel in a pack, right? Like, it's just like, Mm -hmm. it's just this weird notion that, you know, that they, I guess there's gender politics at play here, but just like, they hadn't even basically talked to like the other girls. They haven't even realized the girls. Exactly. They have not realized the sheer number. girls in the same house, you know, like, you know, like, oh, they're always traveling in a pack. Ron, you're always around Harry. Sometimes I don't even think you actually even recognize Hermione is not a boy until Quidditch comes into being, right? Or you just mm-hmm. think she's just an alien freak, you know, it's like, oh, it's Hermione. She's or in this girl. book where he says, well, Hermione, you're a girl. <laughs> you go with one of us, <laughs> you know? And they just can't even believe that she's got a date. Which was they don't so even want to think. Which was like, so rude. Oh, oh my, God. my gosh. Just Typical like, boy well, of stuff. Of course you yeah. told Neville no because it's Neville. Right. Hermione They're just being like, typical teenage assholes. Period. He came up behind yep. and said, I got a man. I got a real <laughs> man. I got <laughs> me a man. <laughs> and how funny, you know, all of a sudden Ron just does not like Victor and does not want that autograph anymore for the time and he being. Broke off, and he you broke know? off the arm. <laughs> Yeah. He's, he's breaking the toy crumb. I like I love that. I just love this whole part of the book. It's so fun. I was just like, Ron, you got some deep anger issue, boo. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it gets magic to fix it. You mad at your dress robe? You mad at your money? You mad at your best friend? You, you know? Well, he's realizing yeah. and he's like, realizing uh, he likes this girl and he screwed up. I'm just right. like. And you know, and you know what I love about Harry, right? Harry's such a messy person. Harry ain't saying nothing. Mm-mm. He's just like in his mind, he just say, "Yeah, I think Hermione is right, but I ain't telling Ron anything." I ain't saying nothing. Exactly. I, I, I want to exactly. keep my friendship with my dude. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, hey, bro. Gonna, it's just like, oh god, oh, boy, it's horrible. horrible. I'm just like, Harry's this girly. You know, Ron ain't doing nothing in the library with you, but distracting you, right? It's Hermione who's helping you. She knows how to mm-hmm. go through the index and all of that shit. But you're just like, I miss Hermione. And that he let, you know how many times Harry let Ron says shit about Hermione? This is why I think Hermione could do better. That she should just wait <laughs> these three years and go with Victor. But you know what? That's just me. That's they don't know they're in love yet. Stop oh, it. That's right. No, that's, that's called right. abuse. It's called abuse. Cut it it's out. It's shitty man. Bye. But, um, <laughs> you know, but again, you know, so this book is where we're not at the end, but you know, it's like, I think it's bye bye to the fun times, I think. Because yes. there will be no more youths and spring, youth and spring and joy, I think, right? Where this, is this is it. This is it. We're, we're going to be in a constant state of tension and agony and pain and war, etc. So we say goodbye to the fun times. And we're going to get serious now, ladies. Okay. I'm ready. So I'm ready. We should see you for the fourth edition of the fourth podcast edition. <laughs> We're out of control. I hope it's totally out of control. Theme. 
I hope this isn't a theme for like five podcasts of book five and six of book six and seven of book seven. There's going to be a lot for five, I feel like, but not so much six and seven. Not Those really. books are shorter. I, so I think we yeah. dealt with a lot of the politics already here. Like, um, yeah, we'll see. We should see. But um, don't forget to like and subscribe and tell all your friends about us. We are a great podcast. It's a black cauldron. You know what I mean? I mean, if you're if you're doing cosmetic Black Lives Matter. I mean, support the Black Cauldron if that's what that's you're That's right. Black Cauldron, that's Black right. Potter fans, Black people. Exactly. And here we are having all kind of philosophical, existential, you know, like world building conversation. And we're quite good at it. Because you know <laughs> what I what I love about this is that no one, you know what I love about us? That no one can come for us. That no one, that all of the Potter theory I'm hearing people about, just like, nope, you're wrong. We're right. <laughs> You're out of control. Say right. Absolutely. So, so good night, ladies. And good night. See you next time around. <laughs>